We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, and I'm the Counseling Director here at Rolling Hills. We're continuing in our series, A Beautiful Life, a study in 1 John in today's podcast, and we can't wait to dive into the rest of 1 John 2 with you. Now here's Pastor Jason. So I think that you have been lied to, okay? I think you have been lied to, not by me, but I think generally speaking in life, you have been lied to. This came to my attention about a week ago. I was walking through Target, and a number of products caught my attention on the shelf, and I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure that product is lying. I think that what it says it is going to do is not actually 100% going to do that. And so it became really noticeable to me, so much so I took about six minutes and pulled together some props. Okay, so these are all off of the shelves, and I want you to see if it's possible that some of the claims that these products are making are really true. Is it really going to do everything that it says it's going to do? And so I start with this uh, lotion, and it's an essential healing lotion, and it says here, and you can't, you can't see for the, um, the small font here, but you can take my word for it, at the bottom, keeps dry skin healed for three weeks. And I thought, so if my hands are dry, I put this on, and for three, 21 solid days, this is supposed to heal me from that. So I, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe it's every day for 21 days, but whoever, whatever it says. So there you go. And then I noticed this one, which again was one of my favorites. This is a pack of playing cards, standard playing cards. And right here in the small font, under the brand name, it says, Trusted Since 1885. So for 136 years, no one has ever distrusted this company. I mean, you can trust us for 136 years. And I thought to myself, what does a playing card company have to do to earn my distrust? I mean, put 51 cards in there, and all of a sudden I'm like, don't trust those folks. And then there's this one, which is the Reynolds oven kitchen bags, oven bags, large size. And in the yellow font here, it says tender, juicy meats. Okay. It doesn't tell me what kind of meat I have to use, but it says you put meat in one of these bags and put it in the oven, and we assure you it will come out tender and it will come out juicy. So drop five pounds of beef jerky in one of these bags, put it in your oven, and let me know how tender and juicy it is. And then there is this one, which is a Garnier Nourishing Color Cream, permanent hair color. And it says rich, long-lasting color, silky, shiny, nourished hair. In the middle, it says 100% gray coverage. 100% gray coverage. And so I picked this up for $5.99. Some of you all are spending way too much money. If it only takes $5.99 for 100%, not partial, but 100% gray coverage, $5.99. There you go. And then my personal favorite is this one. These are Scott's four-pack of toilet paper. And up here on the top, it says four rolls last four weeks. I don't want to know the research project that had to go, <laughs> that had to be undertaken for us to determine, do four rolls really last four weeks in your home? And I thought about all of these products, and I believe that there's some claims here that might lead you astray, that these may not be able to hold the value that they say they are going to do, which is in essence the big idea of what we're talking about today 
It's the big idea of this text in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, because what you're going to see in this text today is we're in the third week of this series called A Beautiful Life. What you're going to see in this text today is the Apostle John is going to really bring it to us to help us understand that it's very likely in life that you'll be led astray. It's very likely in life that you're going to follow the claims of something that's not true. It's very likely in life that if you don't remain with Jesus, often what may happen is your life may wander from Jesus and you buy into the claims of something that is not true. And so I'm so excited that you're here because I think this is so relevant for where a lot of us are living our lives. In fact, 1 John is an incredible book of the Bible. And it's one of a three-part epistle letter that was written by the Apostle John to various churches. It didn't have one specific church that it was intended to go to, but rather to be circulated around amongst the churches. And two weeks ago, We talked about the importance of understanding that sin is in our life and that if we claim we have no sin, what separates us from God, then we're a liar. And then last week, Pastor Jeff talked about the difference between living for the world and living for the things of God and the things of this world ultimately pass away. But whoever lives according to the will of God will live forever. And so what John is trying to get us to understand today is be careful in life to not be led astray. Be careful in life to not follow the claims of things that are untrue, but rather to follow him. And so I want us to read this text together and to see what are the implications, God, that you have for us? What is it that you want to teach me specifically through your word today? But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence. I'm so thankful for each and every person who's here. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for a powerful time of worship. I'm grateful for your presence in this place. I'm thankful, God, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are wanting to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in this place today. I know it's not by accident that any person is here. And so I just pray that you would give them a sense of your purpose and a plan for what it is that you want them to do as they seek to not fall prey to the trappings of this world, but rather, God, to be solidly focused on you. I thank you for who you are, You are truly our way maker, and we're grateful for that, Father. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. So our text is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. You're going to see those words up here on the screen. You can follow along with me on an app or a Bible, whatever the case might be. And a lot of those are actually printed there for you on your worship guide. So I want you to hear all 11 of these verses. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just that as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, 
Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, some of you stopped paying attention when you heard the word Antichrist because you thought that's really scary. I don't know where we're going today with this because it conjures up an image of, you know, something with horns or maybe a Kirk Cameron movie or a Left Behind series or the Da Vinci Code or something of that nature. And some of you actually are relishing in that because you're like, I want to talk more about end times. And so you feel like I'm in the right place today. And then there's some of you who have never heard about any of this before. And you say, well, that just sounded really, really strange. And then there's some of you who are just saying, you know what, I'm just trying to make it through today. We just got everybody fed and out of the house. So we're just here. The reality is whichever of those boxes you check this morning, this is so relevant for you. So, so relevant. I want to direct your attention, in fact, back to verse 26, because that's the main objective. It clearly articulates what John is doing here. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And he says, church, churches, church of today, this letter is coming to you because there are people out there who want to lead you astray, who are trying to make claims that are not substantiated by Scripture, and you're going to be tempted to follow them. They are making false claims. They're lying to you. And John says, I don't want you to be led astray by them. And ultimately what he's saying is that the best way to not be led astray is to stay in close relationship with the source. The best way for your life to not be led astray, verse 26, is to stay in close connection to the source, that being Jesus Christ. So the bedrock truth of these 11 verses, and I want you to write this down if you want to follow along with some notes, the bedrock truth is that apart from Jesus, you are prone to wonder and more likely to be led astray. Apart from Jesus, you are prone to wonder and more likely to be led astray. So you take your eyes off Jesus, and you end up somewhere that you never intended to be. What did Jesus do for you? What was God's plan for the world? God's plan for the world was to send Jesus so that you and I could have life. It's the beautiful message of the gospel, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, for us to have life. And Jesus lived perfect, sinless life. 33 years later, he took the cross. He took our sin. He took every atrocious thing that you have ever done, upon his shoulders. And that blood was shed so that you could have life. And three days later, he resurrected from the dead to show the world once and for all that he conquers death. And he says, I then will conquer and can conquer anything in your life. And I want to be in a relationship with you. And all that you do, it's a profound truth that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of humility as you place your faith in him. And you say, life's not about me, but it's all about him. So God, forgive me for what I have done. And he comes into your life and he changes your forever. But see, if I take my eyes off of Jesus, I tend to end up somewhere that I never thought I would be. It's kind of like if you're driving and you take your eyes off the exit, take your eyes off what mile marker you're on, you end up in Alabama. But you didn't need to be in Alabama. You needed to be in Cool Springs. And you realize I'm now... Four exits below Cool Springs simply because I just wasn't paying attention. I took my eyes off of the source. Or you take your eyes off of the instruction manual when you're putting together your kid's basketball goal. And you finish the project and you have two rods and seven bolts still left. And you say a quick prayer that those two rods and seven bolts were not necessary for the safety of this overall thing that we have created. 
He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray because you're prone to wonder and you're prone to take your eyes off of Christ. When I think of this verse and I think of this big idea, I'm taken back to a hymn that was very popular when I was a kid. There was a hymn that was written in 1758. I wasn't a kid in 1758, so let me clarify that. (laughs) By Robert Robinson. And the hymn was titled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it's a beautiful hymn. And there's a verse in that hymn. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it because I want you guys to stay with me for a few minutes. But that line says the following, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And the language of that hymn to some of you sounds really archaic. And you think, what truth is in that hymn? But what he's really saying is that my heart and my mind and my actions and my attitudes are prone to wonder. But he says, but God, I give you all of my heart. Take my heart and Lord, hold it secure. Seal it. Seal it for your kingdom, for the courts above, not for the courts here on this earth. So maybe there's a more modern day equivalent. Maybe we need to bring that, that, that line into the 21st century. Maybe it's more like this. Prone to spend more time on Facebook, prone to flee from Christian friends. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Or how about this one? Prone to make my life all about money. Prone to make everything all about me. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Or how about this one? Prone to look for hope and meaning in political candidates. Take my heart, Lord. Seal it. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, what John is trying to do here is he's trying to protect the church from wondering. He's trying to protect us from being led astray. Now look back at the first two verses. Because when you look back at the first two verses, you're going to see something about the timing. But you're also going to see something about who we are being protected from back in verse 19 and 20. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So he says, dear children, And Pastor Jeff talked about this last week, but it sounds very fatherly, doesn't it? Because he's a man of old age, and he's writing to people who are younger than him, and so he's referring to them as children, and he says, children, this is the last hour. What does that mean? It means that he thought they were living in the last hour. What is the last hour? The last hour is the time when Jesus is coming back to this earth. I said a few minutes ago that Jesus was resurrected. He had a short stint of time that he walked around on the earth, and then he ascended back to heaven. But he said, I'm going to return. I'm going to return to the earth once and for all and make it all right. That has not happened yet, in case you're wondering. Jesus has not returned to the earth again for the second coming of Christ. And so John is writing this at the same point in history that you and I are in, in this in-between moment. But John thought that they were literally in the last hour because what did Jesus say when Jesus left? He said, this is what's going to happen in the last hour. There's going to be persecution. You're going to have to stand strong for the name of Christ. There's going to be false teachings that kind of wiggle their way into the life of the church. And John steps back and he looks around and he realizes false teachings are in the church. He realizes we're being persecuted for our faith because I'm seeing my contemporaries be beheaded. It's not figurative. Literal. He's saying, I'm seeing people die. 
the very folks who are with me on these journeys are being martyred for the faith. And so he's like, guys, this is the last hour. Jesus is returning once and for all. He believed it. When I think back about two generations ago, my grandparents' generation, two generations ago, maybe this was true for you, depending on how you were raised and kind of what your faith heritage is, but two generations ago, my grandparents, they used to talk about end times all the time. They were always talking about we might be in the end times because I think that they thought that we were. Then I go back one generation to my parents' generation, and they talked a lot more about the end times than my generation does. Not as much as my grandparents, but still more than I do. And now fast forward to where I am now here in 2021, and I realize I not only think or talk much about the end times, I think very little about it. Why? I think the longer we've lived, the smarter we have become, the more immortal that we think we are. The more that we think, you know what, life is always going to be like this, and it's never going to come to an end. There's never going to be anything besides kind of what I am right now. We're living longer than we've ever lived before. But see, John had a sense of urgency because he thought they were living in the last days. And so he said, we're living in the last days, church, so get this right. Don't be led astray by all of these things. Do not let any stone be unturned. Do not leave your life to happenstance. Don't be led astray because before long, guys, Jesus is going to come back. He's given us a mission. He's given us a a commission to go out and point people to him. That's why we exist. So let's get to work. I think that this was true for John, and I hope it's true of us. You see it here on your notes. You'll always make the most of your time when you realize you don't have much time left. I think a lot of us don't tend to make much of our time. We don't tend to use our time very wisely because we think we have an ad nauseum amount of it left. But that's as if John is understanding, I'm going to make the most of my time because I don't know how much time I have left. But I tend to live like, you know what, I have all the time in the world. I'll get my life turned around someday. Or I'll invite those people to church someday. Or I'll grow someday. Or I'll take that step of baptism someday. Or I'll invite my neighbor to church someday. I'll have that spiritual conversation someday, but when you realize you don't have a whole lot of time left, the urgency tends to go up. If you don't believe me, ask any parent who has a senior walking across the stage this year, and they will tell you that did not happen slowly. (laughs) It happened quickly. You ask any dad who has walked his beautiful daughter down the aisle to a lesser man at the aisle, And say, did that happen quickly or did that just happen slow? And he will say, it's like yesterday I was holding her. (laughs) Now I'm giving her away to him. Because it happens so quickly. See, when you realize you don't have a lot of time left, it tends to shape the way that you speak and the way that you work and the urgency with which you live your life, the way that you have conversation. The reality is you and I are living in the last days. When is Jesus returning? I have no idea. If you were looking for the answer, you're not in the right place. And if anybody tells you it's December 1st, 2023, you should let it go in one ear and out the other. Why? Because the scriptures say that not even the angels in heaven know when Jesus is returning for the second time. So far be it from me, guy in Nolensville, Tennessee, to know when that is going to happen. But the reality is it's going to happen because roughly one in 13 verses in the New Testament are in reference to the second coming of Jesus. 
So this is something that we shouldn't be ignorant of. It's something that would only stand to reason that we should be prepared for. So what then is going to happen? What is John preparing them for? He says, we're in the last days. So this is what's going to happen in the last days before Jesus returns. Back to verse 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So what's actually going to happen in these last hours? And if you want to take these notes, then feel free to do so. This is what you see in this text. The Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have already come. I don't want to confuse you. We'll explain this really quickly. The Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists, plural, have already come. See, an Antichrist, according to Scripture, the Antichrist, according to Scripture, is the one who is going to come before the second coming of Christ. And it's going to be a person of demonic power who's going to rise up to rebel against Jesus and ultimately rebel against the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, in reference to the Antichrist. He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God, everything that is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, is this real? Yes. Who is this? I have no idea. When is he coming? I have no idea. What we do see is his purpose. And what the Antichrist is going to do is he's going to come and exalt himself over everything that is God. He will set himself up in God's temple and proclaim to be God. And he's going to be under the demonic influence of Satan. Now, what did Satan do when he introduced himself to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Perfect, quiet gardens of Eden. No sin had entered the world yet. And Adam and Eve are there, and the serpent comes to them, and he says, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree of the fruit of the garden of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And he said, when you eat it, you will become like God. It was the primary tactic that Satan used to introduce himself. Follow me opposed to following God, and you become like God. You become your own God. You are in control of everything. And isn't that at the nature of sin? We want to be in control. Isn't that the nature of what wars in our lives against God being in control and us being in control? I would much rather be in the center and let all of you orbit around me, <laughs> opposed to God being the center and us all orbiting around him. So the Antichrist is coming, but John says simultaneously, and this is where it's interesting because this is something that a lot of us are just not clear on because it's never been taught to us before. He says the characteristics of the Antichrist are already among you, that there are Antichrists, plural, already at work. So the Antichrist is coming, but the Antichrists are already here. They were in the first century. They were in the 21st century. Who are they? What are they doing? Back to verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. But from who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. But as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. So see, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, according to verse 22, is one of these antichrists. Anti meaning against. So anything, anyone 
that denies who Jesus really is and say, no, Jesus is not Lord and seeks to be first place in your life opposed to Jesus being first place in your life is one of these many antichrists. And what an antichrist does is seeks to take over first place. It seeks to numb you to the effects of sin. It seeks to um, desensitize you to the truth of Scripture. So all of a sudden, hopefully you realize this morning when I say antichrist, we're not talking about just some scary low-end budget, you know, low-budget movie here. We're talking about everyday life and protecting ourselves from the things that could potentially lead us astray. But how do I not be led astray? Because that's the big idea. John says, I don't want you to be led astray. So how do we protect ourselves from not being led astray? What is it that I actually need to do? And you see this here on your screen. But pursuing the truth of Christ, that leads me to a beautiful life like nothing else can or will. This is the antidote, so to speak. Pursuing the truth of Christ, it leads me to a beautiful life like nothing else can or will. Look at back, back at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. You, church, you have an anointing from God, and that anointing gives you truth. And John's going as far to say, no lies come from the truth. So you build your life upon truth, and you're able to flee from the lies. You build your life on truth and don't let those lies take root. Now, I don't need to remind you of this, but we live in a day and age right now where truth is kind of up for grabs. It's kind of up for grabs. And unfortunately, we've made truth very much a moving target and it's treacherous. The problem with core truth of Scripture being a moving target is you don't ever know if you're hitting the target. And we desensitize the truth. Some of us have allowed lies from the pit of hell to become true to us, and so that we've carried that baggage for far too long. Some of you have had people in your life who have told you things about yourself that were not foundational to the truth of God's Word, and you have carried that for years, and you would not sit here this morning and say, I have that beautiful life that I want, and it's possible that you don't have that beautiful life because you've allowed so many lies to take up residence in your life. And what John is saying is, no, I want you to flee from that so you can allow the truth to take up residence in your life. Or maybe you've just kind of chosen to ignore truth and you've built your hope and you've built your life on worldly things and you've hoped that with each iteration of the worldly things that you've trusted in, they would bring you some success, they would bring you some fulfillment, and they would bring you some meaning. But what's happened is we have put all of our hope in something that's ultimately a house of cards. And when the storms have come, the house has fallen. Or when the pressures have come, it's become just too unbearable to bear. This is why this letter, though, doesn't have to be scary as a follower of Jesus. If you're here as a follower of Jesus, this should not be a scary text. This should be something that stirs up in you joy and peace and excitement because God is reminding you what he desires for you to do. Look at verse 24. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. So you remain in God. You remain in fellowship with him. Do not flee from the spiritual disciplines. Don't ignore the God-given need that you have in your life for community. Don't ignore that God-given need that you have to be known. Don't ignore that God-given need that you have to help someone else be made known. 
never forget what you've been promised above all. You've been promised eternal life if you remain in him. This world, my friends, I love my life right now. I love this town. I love where we live. I love everything about this. All of you Californians who have moved here, you do as well. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> but this world and all of its sin and all of its trappings, it's a blip on the radar compared to eternity. And what Jesus is promising us here is that if we remain in him, then we inherit eternal life. But not only that, but he says, remain in me and live with urgency to help other people experience this eternal life. That's why you're here. Some of you guys, I looked across this room, and there's some of the most talented people in all of Nolensville sitting in this room this morning. But your job is not what you actually get paid to do. Your job is to point other people to Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ, to show that hope, to show that love, to share that peace, and to live with a sense of urgency. So remain and live with urgency to help others and pray to see the difference between God, what is true and ultimately what is a lie. Let's go back to verse 26. I'm writing these things. Again, big idea. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It's a little bit of a shock to my system when he says, you don't need anyone to teach this to you. I mean, that cuts me to the core. That's my job description. <laughs> and John just said, you actually don't need anybody to teach this to you. Why? Because you have an anointing that you can open up God's word and that that truth can pour over your life so that you're able to discern between what's true and what's false, that you don't need somebody like me to say, yeah, that's true, no, that's false. But that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has given you that anointing to know how to do that. And lastly, our last point this morning is, I hope that you get this and understand the difference between what's true and what's a lie, and that ultimately nothing good ever comes from building your life on false things. Some of us have tried, haven't we? We've tried to build our life on false things. Nothing good ever comes from building your life on false things. Back to verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received, it remains in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as the anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. I love verse 27 because he says that anointing, it's real. This is not fake. This is real. This is not counterfeit. Build your life on what's real. Don't build your life on these lies. And when you build your life on the truth of Christ, what you notice is that the lies of the many antichrists don't lead you astray anymore. But you're able to remain solidly focused on him. It's a big difference between something that's real and something that's counterfeit. And that anointing is real. I've never had a job that required me to be able to tell the difference between real money and fake money. Monopoly money, I can tell. But everything else, I've never had a job. My closest one I ever had was 16 years old. My first job, I worked at a gas station in my hometown in Kentucky. I was 16 years old. I was just taking every bill that somebody would hand. 
wasn't really that concerned, didn't own the place. You know, I was like, sure, it looks like a dollar bill. I didn't know. I mean, I don't think we ever accepted any counterfeit money, but it was nothing that was ever, you know, that had to be on my radar. But there are many people that that is precisely what they do. I think about the U.S. Secret Service. One of the primary roles of the U.S. Secret Service is to be able to determine, is this a counterfeit bill opposed to this being a fake bill? And I read something on the internet one time, and you should believe everything you read on the internet, and it said that how the Secret Service agents are trained is that they spend a large bulk of their time and training in studying the real thing. That if you study all of the real currency, then you'll be able to realize when you have a piece of fake currency. And I thought to myself, that sounds awesome, and that's a really good sermon illustration. But I need to probably check that with someone. So I know a guy who actually works for the Secret Service. I picked up the phone, and I called him, and I said, hey, man, I heard this. I read it on the Internet. And so is it true? This is what I read, that you guys are trained to kind of spot counterfeits by studying the real thing. Is that true? And he said, Jason, it's absolutely 100% true. You have nailed our training. That's exactly what we do. And I said, well, do you want to share a little bit more? I'm interested. And he said, if this is kind of what your job is, he said, you go through weeks upon weeks of doing nothing but hours a day looking at tens of thousands of real pieces of money. And he said, after about two weeks of doing this day upon day, hour upon hour, someone throws in a fake in the stacks of the thousands, and you have to try to find it. And he said, but here's what happens. He said, you spend several weeks looking at thousands of pieces of the real $100 bills. He said, I can spot a counterfeit a mile away. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. How do I know if someone's trying to lead me astray? It will stand in direct opposition to Jesus. It will be Jesus here, this over here. Jesus here, this over here. Anything that does not start with Jesus, that is not fulfilled by Jesus, that, does not, that has not invited what Jesus desires to do in that situation may very well be something that leads us astray. So I hope and pray this morning that the good things that come in your life, that you'll realize that good things come in your life when they're built on godly things. And this trajectory in the right direction comes when we remain in him, when we stay connected to the source. There's no better way for us to experience that life that he has. And so the best way to know, the best way to know, am I being led astray, is to know the source. The best way to know what my life needs to look like is not by what the world tells me, but rather by what Jesus tells me. And what John is saying is, I'm giving you all of this church because I don't want you to be led astray. And the same holds true for us here in 2021. In fact, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment because I want us to respond to this. And I want you to just where you are as we close the service here in just a moment. I want you to just evaluate where you are. And wherever you may be, maybe you're here and you're, you're saying to yourself, I am, have never been at a more spiritually rich place than I am right now. Praise God for that. But if that's where you are right now, God wants more for you. 
God wants to take you even deeper. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm just really far from God. I don't know if um, I believe any of these claims. I don't know if God is really for me. Know that he wants more for you. Or maybe you're here and you've just kind of had some relationships that have gone really sour. Or you've just not anticipated that you would be at this point of life where you are right now and you're bitter and you're harboring some anger. Maybe a lack of forgiveness. God wants more for you. Or maybe you're just at the bottom of a very large mountain and you're trying to figure out, how do I climb it? What's the step that I take? I don't even know the first step to take. If that's where you are, God wants to give you more. So whichever of those situations maybe speaks to where you are, maybe this morning you just say, you know, I want to remain in you, God. I want to remain in you. I want to trust you. I want to grow in you. And in this time of response, maybe as you sing, maybe as you pray, maybe as you just sit, that you would invite God to meet you right where you are, to not be led astray, but rather to trust in him, to remain in him. God, thank you for what you're doing in this place. We're so grateful. We pray that we would remain in you. We pray, God, that you would protect our hearts from wondering, that you would protect us from fleeing from you, but rather help us to remain in you. And I pray, God, that you would do those immeasurably more things in our life right now, whatever it is that you desire to do. Help us to trust you and help us to grow in you. It's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.